a seat and uh, open your Bibles, the Bible apps, to the book of Revelation as we continue there. Uh, we're going to be in chapter uh, 2 today. Uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, um, we are coming to the end of a series we call 2020, uh, where we started back in uh, the end of 2019, and we started in Genesis looking for the gospel um, from one cover to the next, and we have found it, we have seen it. Um, when, when we flipped over to the uh, New Testament, we see how the gospel changes our lives. Um, but the gospel has been the focus throughout, and when we get to the book of Revelation, it still is here, um, as God has given his people basically a program of events. He's handed us a program of events for uh, the end of the world. Uh, we saw a few weeks ago in chapter 1, uh, John laid the foundation for the entire book, describing who Jesus is. It was always about him. It is always about him, and it will be always about him. And upon this foundation, the Lord speaks to seven early churches using a description of Jesus from chapter 1 in each introduction. And we have seen, because now the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers, these churches represent you and me. The Ephesian church was described as the loveless church. Even though they looked good on the outside, they had all the programs, they were doing all the work, their hearts were not in it. They were just going through the motions. They had left their first love, something that has been described as devotion to Christ that so often characterizes a new believer, fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. And in order to get back to that kind of love, the instructions are to remember what God has done in our lives, repent from the sin of our stale hearts, and return to the work that we did at first. The second letter was written to Smyrna, the persecuted church. Uh, one of only two of the seven that an accusation was not brought against. Now, while all these other churches, they were under persecution, apparently Smyrna was the most persecuted because they would not bow to the lie that Caesar is Lord. And, and though they are described as poor here in Revelation, they're also described as rich. Uh, because one of the gospel's effects on us is that it changes our values. The believers in Smyrna knew anything that they might have to give up in this life because their hearts were clinging to the fact that Jesus is Lord. It was worth it compared to the eternal riches that would be theirs in Christ, through Christ. Uh, we find ourselves in similar places uh, where our, re our relationship with Jesus sometimes uh, it requires us to give up what is fleeting for what is eternal. That's when we have to have the gospel rooted in our hearts. Uh, when, the, when, the gospel, when that gospel causes the culture around us to hate us, it's as if God speaks the same message that he spoke to Smyrna. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't be afraid. Be faithful, and a reward will come. It's a promise that we can always third church was Pergamos, uh, described as the compromising church. Uh, it, it's, it's also described as a light in a dark place. Pergamos was known for its idol worship, and here is this fledgling little church right there in the midst of them. It's another that seems to have it all together on the outside, but when tested against the word of God, they fell short. We see that Satan, Satan had stirred the pot of panic. And he had convinced some of them to just give in and say, Caesar is Lord. And question, okay, why can't Jesus and Caesar be Lord, both be Lord? 
Um, the same question that we might ask. Why can't our toys or possessions and Jesus both be Lord of our lives? Why can't my desires and my pleasures and Jesus both be Lord of my life? What's the same reason your spouse and someone else can't be the love of your life? It doesn't work maritally, and it doesn't work spiritually either. This is where Pergamos was compromising. Compromising spiritually invites oppression from the devil. Uh, we sang it today, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Lord, help us to listen and obey your word. Protect us against compromise. The fourth letter that we're going to be looking at today, uh, found in Revelation 2.18. This is the longest letter, and it's the, to the church in Thyatira. They're described as the corrupt church. Pick it up in verse 18, chapter 2. The angel of the church in Thyatira write these things. It says, The Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches their minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Verse 24. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have until I come. He who overcomes and keeps my work until the end, to him I will give power to over, power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Lord, bless the reading of his word. So let's uh, note first the description of Jesus, because we never want to just pass that over. Here he's seen as the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like flames of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now, this is the only time that we see uh, the title Son of God used in Revelation. Remember, we have seen Son of Man before, and, and that title may make us think of his human nature. But remember, it includes way more than that. The title Son of God leaves absolutely no question. This refers to his deity. Uh, the, the, the same word son is used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. This is Jesus. God's only son. And rather than this humble and lowly, impoverished little baby, Jesus here is strong and absolutely formidable. His eyes like flames of fire, his feet like fine brass. I know your works, he says, service, faith, your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. So Thyatira is yet another church that seems to have it, everything together on the outside. They serve, they have faith, they are patient. Their works now are better than when they first started. X blank on your outline. But they were lacking 
believe. These believers were lacking So it was a lack of holiness that made them corrupt. Church, we need, we need to hear that. A lack of holiness made them corrupt. We see that holiness is extremely important. What comes to mind when you hear that word, holiness? The word holy means uh, set apart, consecrated, pure, undefiled, um, not blatantly living in so the example here in Thyatira is sexual immorality. We see Jezebel specifically mentioned. Uh, so apparently there was a seductive woman within the church. Her name may or may not have been Jezebel. Or it may be that she was just like the Old Testament queen and wife of Ahab. Uh, Jezebel and Ahab were the most evil leaders Israel had ever known. Uh, Ahab was the standard for evil for all the kings that would follow and when we read her story, uh, it, when she got in the picture, it was just twice as bad. Baal worship became more and more a cancer in Israel under her enticement. She had many prophets of God murdered. She also had Naboth murdered for his vineyard, if you remember that story, just so she could take it and give it to Ahab. She's described as shameless, unrestrained. She is bloodstained, immoral, irreverent, and ultimately she died one of her subjects pushed her out a window and then she was trampled by horses and the only thing left of her was her skull her hands and her feet just like Elijah said it would happen so whether this woman in Thyatira was named Jezebel or not she represents the same things Jezebel of the Old Testament represented verse 20 nevertheless I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols uh, I, I see that, that phrase, uh, eat things, sacrifice to idols, just referring to an irreverence for the things of God. The next one's from your outline. They had an irreverence for the things of God. They lacked holiness and irreverence, and they had an irreverence for the things of God. Jezebel in this church loved tolerance. She loved compromise. She loved irreverence used her position and her beauty to bring men down and influence uh, greatly throughout the church in Thyatira. She caused immorality to be emulated there and thus making them unholy. Uh, church, you know, the, the Bible has much to say about sexual immorality. It's defined as anything sexual outside of a one man and one woman marriage. Proverbs 5 and 3. The lips of an immoral woman drip honey her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. Therefore, hear me now, my children, verse 7, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. 16. Drink water from your own cistern, and running water from your own well. Verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth. This is not the first time that I've preached on sexual immorality. God knows that some people, even within the church, tolerate it in our own lives. If that's you here this morning, uh, this is exactly what God is talking about. You have been corrupted. You've been blinded to the need for holiness by your own desires. And 
this is not a popular message to preach, but church, it's the truth. Tolerating and winking at sin will not lead to anything good. And when we do, we align ourselves in the same category as Jezebel, who we just described so ungodly and so negatively. 1 Corinthians 6.18, sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, there's really no guesswork that needs to happen with a translation of a passage like this. It's clear what God is saying. So, what do we do if we find ourselves under the corrupt category? find ourselves under the loveless category. Sin. So the instructions. Uh, Jesus goes on to say, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality in verse 21. So if you're, if you're listening here today, this could be your time to repent. Hear the grace in the words of God. I gave her time to repent. The unpopular message does not have to be a message of condemnation. It can be a message of grace. And this could be the chance that God is giving some to stop what you're doing and turn back and make it right, make things right. But beware, the time will not last forever. And don't we know this applies not only to sexual immorality, but any sin that we're harboring in our hearts. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. So the command was to repent, but she did not not she would not and so the consequence is sin indeed verse 22 says i will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds i will kill her children children here likely means followers i will kill them with death and with that all the churches may know that i am he who searches the minds and hearts and i will give to each one of you according to your works church if this is you you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart through His Word. Don't ignore Him. Accept His grace and return to sweet fellowship with Him by repenting. We've seen Jesus. We've seen what the people of Thyatira were doing right. We've seen the accusation brought against them. Verse 24, we see that not everyone had given into this temptation. And so to them, the Lord writes, hold fast. Hold fast, resist evil, continue to fight against unholiness. Overcome, he says, and I will give you power over the nations. I will give you the morning star. That's likely a, a reference to Jesus. When he returns, his people will be so closely identified with the bright and morning star, as referred to later in Revelation, that he will belong to us, so to speak. He who has an ear. Spirit says to the churches. So Thyatira is the corrupt church. The second church we'll look at today is Sardis, the dead church. Sardis, the dead church. Let's uh, turn over to chapter 3. Read the letter there. To the angel of the church of Sardis, write These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. 
that you have a name that you are alive, but you were dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Uh, so uh, a couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to invite a couple of guys um, to, to church, and, and I always start that conversation probably like you do. Um, currently go to church anywhere and, and one of their replies it, it, it kind of surprised me it, it had stuck with me over these last few weeks um, he said you know I'll go to church when I find one that has some life because I don't have any use or time for a dead church and he went on to explain that he, he had experienced both dead church and life and, and a live church and, and the dead church had just kind of turned him off to the things I noticed that some translations call this church here uh, feeble. So feeble, dead. The question becomes, what makes a church dead? What makes anything dead? No life. No heartbeat. We get the idea of, of frailty, barely hanging on, no pulse. And there are churches like that, but remember... You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so this can describe us spiritually as well. A, a few years ago, Tom Rayner wrote a book titled Autopsy of a Deceased Church, and he compiled a bunch of data from churches that had closed their doors. It's a, it's a short little read. It's an easy read, but in it he noticed, notes what happens uh, so slowly. And, and some of the things that he listed that kill a church are uh, the past is the hero. They live in past glory days. They're not willing to change. Yes, I said it. They're not willing to change. That's a bad word for some churches. Um, but that's the churches that want to die. The message of the gospel does not change. But the methods with which they're delivered do. That's why we do programs like Upward and, and CR and, and Kids Ministry. But make no mistake, if Jesus isn't the foundation the reason for why we do anything, there is no life. So the past is hero. Uh, the church refused to look like the community. The budget moved inwardly, as in uh, keeping members comfortable and forgetting about the lost. The natural progression of that mindset is the next thing that Rainer lists. Uh, the great commission becomes the great omission. The church was driven by preferences pastors didn't stick around there was no clear purpose the church was obsessed over facilities recently talked to a pastor friend of mine who recently took a, a position in a church with a huge building a massive sanctuary he said they were running 70 people because of a split we can just imagine how ugly things got so how does that happen how does the church just die off, and, and most importantly, how can we avoid it? Well, 
first notice how, who Jesus is because we don't want to pass that over. Verse 3, the angel of the church of Sardis writes, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now remember in chapter 1, uh, there is, we, we saw the same description. There is one Holy Spirit, but the number seven stands for completeness. And so this is referring to the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and in the life of a believer. Church, if we do not stay in tune to what God is trying to say to us through His Spirit, then First Baptist and its members will die. And I truly believe that the Holy Spirit can, can bring a group of believers to the same point and, and lead us in the same direction. We've seen it all throughout our lives. I know your works, that you have a name, and that you are alive, but you are dead. So, it's like, uh, yes, the community knows about that church, but there is no life in it. Notice the path to restoration. It says to be watchful. Be watchful. Look for these things that kill the church. So be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before the Lord. It's like anything that is feeble. It's time to go to physical therapy and strengthen the muscles of the church. What is the muscles of the church? What are the muscles of the church? It is the gospel. It has to be the gospel, the foundation for everything that we do. Returning to living on mission. Look like the community around us, not in sinful practices, but culturally is what that means. People and ethnicities that make up the community should also make up the church in that community. Be willing to change. Not the message of the gospel, but the method that the gospel is delivered. Verse 3, remember therefore how you have received and heard. It's the same instructions that were given to Ephesus. Remember. Remember Jesus. Remember the effect that he has had on your life. Hold fast don't give up don't go don't throw in the towel don't retire from living on mission we have probably all known people as they've gotten older they've been sent to physical therapy then they didn't do it what happened continued build down that word repent again it's been used eight times in chapters two and three turn from death to life it, it's the old question that that changed my entire outlook on church work a few years ago if first baptist closed its doors would anyone even notice are we living on mission making a difference in potosi with the gospel of jesus so that that answer is an absolute yes Notice the consequences if repentance is not made. Verse 3 says, Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. <clears throat> so we know the city of Sardis was located on top of a plateau, almost inaccessible, some 1,500 feet above the main road below. It was a safe place. It was comfortable. And history tells us that it was captured twice. And each time century the guard didn't do their job they didn't keep watch so was this church so could be any church that this describes they were safe they were comfortable 
living in past glories. And that's when the enemy came in and suffocated the life out of them. All the churches that I read about in Rainer's book, they didn't see their death coming until after the fact, until it was too late. So remember, hold fast, repent, keep watch. Those are the instructions to the dead church of Sardis. Those are the instructions to any among us. You'll seem lifeless here today. The instructions, First Baptist Potosi. We've got to do our part. Here's the good news of the gospel. Later on in Revelation 21.5, Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. Say all things. All things. And that can include a dead church. That can include a Christian who is dying inside. One of his I am statements in John 11, Jesus said, I am. And notice that's, that's present tense. He is still today. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus is able to make you new. Jesus is able to breathe new life into your current situation. He's able to resurrect a feeble, dead church. We're willing to follow his instructions and do things his way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the Bow your heads and close your eyes as we uh, just go into a time of reflection and invitation. Been a lot of stuff we've gone through here today. As, as I've studied these churches, how heartbreaking it would be for God to describe me as some of these. Corrupt, compromising, dead that's heartbreaking if the Lord would describe us like that to break your heart because if it does then we've got to do something about it what has God said to you hold fast not everyone is corrupt Hold fast.